Amen, amen. And God's people said, praise God. Now Jackie and her husband said that one day they hope to be here. Well, we have an Australian couple who watch Leading the Way in Australia, and they took the invitation seriously, and they are here. Would I ask you please stand from Australia? Right there. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Today, I don't think you need to be a prophet to recognize that we live in hazardous times. We are watching with our own eyes how good is called evil, and evil is called good. How the righteous is scorned, and the wicked is praised. We're seeing how the godly and moral and the upright leaders are mocked, but the immoral person is exalted and praised. How the familiar social orders are disintegrating before our eyes. How many preachers have surrendered to the prevailing culture? How many pastors have abandoned biblical truth for popularity? How the so-called sexual revolution destroyed many a home? And in the middle of all this, I sense with every fiber of my being that the Lord is gathering His elect from every corner of the globe. Every day I get this information come through my desk of people from every tribe and every nation and every ethnic group are coming to Christ in amazing ways, while in so many places in the West they're abandoning the faith. And I ask the question, why? Why? Because I believe with all my heart, as this world system collapses, God is building His kingdom. As this world begins to collapse, the bride of Jesus Christ is being prepared and ready to meet Him in the air. But here is the temptation that I want to caution us not to fall into, because it is easy. And I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. I know how easy it is for those of us who love righteousness to get angry and lash out at the prevailing culture. I know how easy it is because I speak from my heart how those of us who love the truth can easily fall into reacting in bitterness toward evildoers. Beloved, I want you to know that I remind myself of this on a regular basis. In fact, every day. If David can teach us anything today, if he can teach us anything today from 1 Samuel 24, he is teaching us to trust in God, to trust in God's justice, to trust in God's timing, and to trust in God's mercy and long-suffering. For trusting in God's timing, justice, and patience is far better than taking matters into our own hands. Amen. Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel 
chapter 24. I hope you have it ready uh, in front of you. Now remember this. David was surrounded by his enemies. David was hunted down by those who hated him. David was maligned by his opponents. David was betrayed by the very people that he has saved and delivered. And yet, David chose to trust in God's timing. Think about this with me, please. David receives a golden opportunity, golden opportunity to fulfill his dreams and fulfill his aspiration, to fulfill what he believes that God has called him to do, but he would not touch it. He would not grab for it. David was handed this amazing opportunity of a lifetime on a silver platter, uh, but he turned it down because it was not God's timing and it was not God's way. David found himself with a rare chance uh, to grab the throne of Israel and fulfill God's calling on his life, but he wouldn't do it. Why? Because David knew that our times are in his hands. Say that with me. Our times are in his hands. In the last message, I uh, showed you, in fact, I concluded the message. If you turn with me, please, to the, the verse 14 of 27, or 23. I concluded by quoting verse 14. I want you to listen to it carefully. In fact, if you have it in front of you, in front of you, you can say it with me. Day after day, Saul searched for David, but God did not give David into his hands. Think about this. I told you to think about this for a long time. Today, we see David again having the upper hand. He's got the upper hand now. And he could kill Saul. But he refused to do it. Again, you ask, why? Because when your heart is after God's, I'm not saying you're perfect, neither David, but when your heart is turned and bent toward God, you will not take revenge. Beloved, please, 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 please understand. I, I don't know if those of you who don't know me, I, 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 I shoot straight with you, right? Don't ever think that I do not understand the temptation of lashing out. Do not, understand, do, do not underestimate the fact that I know the temptation of taking revenge. It is very hard not to feel resentment when somebody caused you pain and abuse and suffering. It is very hard. It is very difficult to, when you are treated unfairly without becoming angry. It's so hard. <laughs> and I can tell you this. On your own, you could never fight it. On your own, you could never win. On your own, you can never have victory. But with God, you can do the impossible. I also want to testify to you, because when you lean on God in these situations, He will grow you out of these circumstances, out of these difficulties. When you lean on God, He will cause you victory over your pain. I speak from… that's my testimony. You see, 
He will empower you to live above and beyond that hurt. Can I get an amen? amen? Sometimes, in the early days of my Christian walk, I used to get irritated, annoyed, not really upset or angry, but I got to get irritated every time I read the epistle of James, particularly chapter 1, the first two few verses, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Come on, wait a minute. How can you do that? How can you do that? Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance. In the early days of my Christian walk, that was the bane on my side until I read how much this half-brother of Jesus suffered for his half-brother Jesus. James suffered, and then he died a martyr's death, horrible death. Beloved, listen to me. Here's a fact. See, David knew that he was destined to the throne. Can we all agree on that? He knew that. But he also knew it has to be in God's timing and God's way. Jesus, the son of David, knew he was destined to the throne of the universe from which he came. He knew that is his destination. And Satan in the wilderness gave him a shortcut that he can take that throne but Jesus wouldn't touch it <laughs> because Jesus knew that reaching the throne of the universe is going to come by way of the cross. Jesus knew that his throne is going to come in God's perfect timings. And that's why when people say, you do this, why don't you do this, or why don't you go here? And his, the Bible said he knew that that's not the hour yet. And when the hour came, he said, the hour is now. He knew it. In fact, beloved, listen to me carefully. If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you're walking with Jesus, you are destined to the throne. There is no if or but about it. You read the Scripture. You are destined for the throne. And no one can take that from you. The Bible said nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing means nothing. Can you say nothing? nothing. Means nothing. <laughs> no one. But it will be in God's timing and God's way. Now, as you look with me to chapter 24, 1 Samuel, I was thinking about this, and I try to, I want to bring this scenario into kind of a modern day, uh, so the younger generation particularly can relate to what I'm saying, okay? The military intelligence of Israel has ascertained and reported to King Saul that their satellite has zoomed in with pinpoint accuracy as to where David was. He's hidden in the cave of En Gedi. In fact, many of you who have gone to Israel, you've been to En Gedi. And so King Saul takes 3,000 Green Berets, special ops, Navy SEALs, these are the top of the top of the top people in the Israeli army who are trained to find enemies in rocky terrain. And so they began to pursue David. When they came to that place in En Gedi, David and his men were hiding deep into the cave. 
because they needed the cool of the depth of the cave. In that area, it can actually reach 120 degrees Fahrenheit in the shade. And so they had to literally, in order to survive the heat, to go deep into the crags of that cave. Saul and his men come in, and they go inside the cave for the same reason. They want relief from the heat, so they go in the cool of the cooler temperature of the cave to trap David. Well, dear old Saul, he must have had a very heavy Mexican meal, <laughs> and he needed a siesta. Somebody said siesta is a very civilized way of living. <laughs> David Motley crew saw that Saul and his men were snoring up a storm and sound asleep. I mean, they were snoring so loud, the birds were flying away. Imagine with me, please. Imagine, just use your imagination, the incredible, incredible things that were going on through in their mind. David and his men see Saul sleeping so deeply, and they thought Christmas came early. This is their time. This is their day. They were thinking, man, visions. Not sugar plum, but visions of the White House. And the seats of power were dancing in their heads. Think about it again. All the political consultants and the pollsters and the campaign managers, they huddled with David, and they said to him, now the royal palace is yours. In effect, they were saying to David, 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 please end all of the suffering now. David, it is in your hands to end all of the hardships that we are facing. David, it is in your hands. You can end our loneliness. David, you can end it so we can go home to our families. David, tonight you can be sitting on the throne of Israel. They even quoted the Scripture for him. <laughs> All you need to do is you take the sharp dagger and plunge it in Saul's heart. He won't know what happened. Suffering will be very short, so don't worry about it. Just plunge it in. And before you know it, he'll be dead. And we can shout the shout of victory. And then David does take the dagger and start walking towards Saul and imagine them holding their breath, <gasps> watching Saul with that dagger. And they're ready. By holding their breath, they want to shout, victory! Dear God, beloved, you need to understand that situational ethics, that is, you decide what is right for you. It's not a 20th century idea. What we call the end justifies the means did not begin with Karl Marx. What we call social justice today, which nothing but division within the nation 
And make no mistake about it, read Kierkegaard and read Karl Marx and read Engel and find out because that is the goal of so many people in our culture is to create a division. Kierkegaard called it the thesis and antithesis. And when you create a division, you create a division, you keep pounding as we're seeing today. They're trying to separate, put a separation between men and women, blacks and whites. They are trying to divide our nation. Make no mistake about it. It is not new. Wake up, America. Wake up, America. That's how communism triumphs, by creating a division in society. Read. (laughs) What we call the bottom line only matters is not new. What we call, if it feels good, do it, did not start at Woodstock or with the hippie movement. Our culture has perfected these things, yes, but they're not new. Beloved, listen to me. This is how our culture thinks today. If the choice is between the spotted owl and people's livelihood, we choose the spotted owl. If sexual urges cannot be controlled under control, come under control, express them in which way you want. If you don't like the way God made you, God created you, change it. If people do not feel good about the way the Bible history is told, whether it be Jonah in the belly of the whale or the Noah and the flood, will take these things out of the Bible. You don't have to believe them. Take things into your own hands. If the Word of God does not fit with our culture, then we need to get unhitched from the Word of God. And so the motley crew said to David, kill the rascal. Kill the rascal. It saves us a lot of pain. Kill him and get it over and done with. And David indeed takes that dagger and he walks to Saul where he was sound asleep. But instead of plunging that dagger into his heart, he cuts a small cloth of his garment and pockets it. As they watched with abated breath, a sense of disappointment came all over them. Instead of David listening to his, their voices, he listened to God. Instead of caving into the pressure of their friends, David chose to please God. Instead of giving in to peer pressure and experiencing instant gratification, David decided to trust in God's timing. No wonder God said of him, he examined David's heart and he found it after his own. Oh, my beloved friends, listen to me. It is vitally important for us to interpret our circumstances in the light of the Word of God. Don't interpret your circumstances by the circumstances. Interpret them in the light of the Word of God. It is vitally important to listen to God, not those who are self-serving. It is of uttermost importance not to act on impulse and think that you're helping God out. David could have taken vengeance easily. But he chose to trust God. 
and the promises of God and the timing of God and the way of God. David could have chosen revenge, but he chose to trust God. David could have gone into the lower road of killing, but he chose the high road of life. Talking about killing, I want you to listen to me very carefully. Those of you who know me know that I absolutely, without hesitation or a shadow of doubt, believe the Word of God in its entirety. And I believe that the Scripture is clear that when there is habitual adultery or when there is an abuse, a marriage dies. It's the words of Jesus. Matthew 19. But I also have seen with those eyes people kill marriage just because they are impatient with each other. There are some who kill marriage just because they got bored with each other. They kill a marriage because they think they can be happier with someone else. They kill a marriage because they think that they are trapped in that marriage and they want out. Young people, listen to me. Children sometimes feel trapped in their parents' loving rules, and they cannot wait to fly the coop. I know children sometimes misunderstand the parents' discipline, and they rebel against them. And I have been saying this for a decade, and I'll keep saying it, based on the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Listen to me. This is a word from the Lord. If you have an unsaved, unbelieving child, you must never, never, until you close your eyes in death, never, never, never stop praying for them. It's based on the Word of God. Go home and read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Recently, I came across a letter that was written by a son to his dead father. Only when he turned his life to the Lord did he realize and was convicted about the times of his rebellion against his father. So he decided... Though his father has been dead, to write him a letter, here it is, if I can get through it. Please forgive me ahead of time. Dear Dad, though you've been dead for a while, I feel I must write to you and say some things to you. Things I neglected to tell you while you were alive. Only after passing through the long, hard school of life can I understand how you felt. I must have been a better disappointment to you. I was such a fool. I believed in my shadow ideals and ideas, but realize now how ridiculous they were compared to the calm, gracious, and wholesome wisdom that was yours. I want to confess my worst faults, assuming that somehow you did not understand. 
I know now that you did understand. You knew me better than I knew myself. Your wisdom flowed around me like an ocean around an island. How patient you were, how full of long-suffering and kindness, and how pathetic I viewed your efforts to get close to me and win my confidence, and I would not let you. What held me aloof? I don't know, but it was tragic. I wish I could tell you today how much I love and appreciate you. Well, Dad, it will not be long until I'm over there, and I believe you will be the first to take me by the hand and lead me up the slopes of glory. Then you will realize that not one pang of yearning spent on me was wasted. I'm so sorry for my thoughtlessness and lack of love, but praise God, I will soon meet you on the golden streets because you cared enough to pray for your wayward son. Your grateful son. Now, beloved, if you ever find yourself where David was and you want to take the wrong road, ask yourself the following questions Is my action revengeful? Is my heart full of blind ambitions? Am I impatient and cannot wait for God's timing? If the answer is yes, then please, please don't do it. Don't do it. Wait upon the Lord. The Lord has a perfect timing. Can I get an amen? There's something else I don't want you to miss here. Verse 5, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of Saul's garment while he was asleep. But why? Oh, listen to me. David had a sensitive spirit. David had a tender heart. David had a razor-sharp conscience. And my beloved friends, this is the mark of any man, any woman, any boy, any girl who loved Jesus. I always take comfort in the words of the Apostle John. He said, even when our conscience condemns us, he is greater than our conscience. Amen. Contrast this spiritual sensitivity, the sensitive conscience with that of others that you may know. Those who are described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4.2, that they have their conscience been seared 
with hot iron. You know, when they do that to animals, that whole area where they put that hot iron, the skin is deadened. There's no feeling in it. When you develop a callus in your hand, there is no feeling where that callus is. You see, these people have become numb with sin. They've become callous with rebellion. They have become insensitive in disobedience. And from my personal experience, when that happens, when that happens, all of the sermons in the world, all of the Bible studies in the world, all of the books in the world, all of the retreats and all of the conferences will do them any good. The only thing that will work is the Holy Spirit of God quickens their dead spirit so they'll become alive again. And that is why I tell you again and again, don't ever give up praying. Don't ever give up praying. Will you say that with me? Don't ever. Because only the Holy Spirit of God will make them repent. And that is why we always, always pray for unsaved members of the family and friends and neighbors. Whenever God lays on your heart, that means God has a purpose for them. Verse 6. David is saying to his men, and I quote, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift a hand against him, for he is anointed of the Lord. What is David saying? Listen carefully. I'm getting close to the end. Just listen carefully. As far as David was concerned, God is the one who permitted Saul to be a king. Even though God chose Saul as a judgment, as a punishment over his people for rejecting him and wanted an earthly king. But that did not make any difference to David. Nevertheless, only God could take Saul down. God is the one who anointed David to be the future king of Israel. And only God is the one who will seat him on that throne. But David did not only exercise blind trust in the living God and in the timing of God, he actually persuaded the men to do the same, and that is very difficult. It's one thing for you to be convinced, and it's another thing to try to convince others. And that is why Proverbs 16.32 said, Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than the one who takes the city. Alexander the Great conquered the world. Never happened. Bonaparte tried to imitate him and didn't work. He conquered the world. But he could not conquer his anger. And he killed his best friends. The person who controls his temper is greater than Alexander the Great. Beloved, I believed all along that the best authority, that's what the founders of this country believed, the best authority on earth is the self-governing. And that's why they said the Constitution is written for people who fear God, not for people who don't fear God. Let me open my heart and, and speak to you. Whatever crisis you have faced or you may be facing right now, just remember this. If you ever face a crisis, write it down so you remember it. Whatever crisis you have faced or facing, 
it will go away. It will go away. But what will remain is your reaction to that crisis. The person who provoked you or is provoking you to anger eventually will go away. But what will not go away, what will remain is your reaction to that individual. The situation that caused you and causing you stress will not last. But what will last is your reaction to that situation. The Old Testament said, love your friends and hate your enemies. But the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, David, a thousand years before Christ, understood what Jesus taught in Matthew 5.44. Love your enemies. Bless them that use you. Do good to them who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. Please think with me as I'm coming to the end. Had David listened to his men and killed Saul, most of the Psalms that were written blessed millions of people. Millions of people in 3,000 years would not be here. David's song would have been silenced. There's no denying it was painful for David to wait on God's timing. No denying of that. But it would have been excruciating if he didn't. Oh, it was difficult for David to wait for the slow, unfolding purpose of God. But it would have been agonizing to have taken matters into his hands. See, when David's choice came between revenge and trust in God's timing, he chose God's timing. When David's choices came to love and hatred, he chose love. Why? Because David understood that hatred enslaves you, but love will set you free. Hatred will incarcerate you, but love will liberate you. That hatred will uh, put you behind bars, but love and forgiveness makes you soar to greater heights than you even thought possible. Can I get an amen? amen. I want to conclude by a true story, a very short story. Is told by Dr. George Crane. A woman came to Dr. Crane with deep-seated hatred toward her husband, and she wanted to file for divorce. After ascertained that there's no unfaithfulness and there's no abuse, and Dr. Crane came up with a marvelous advice. He said to her, go back and start showering your husband with compliments. Start showering him with kindness. And when you have become indispensable to him, as an act of revenge, file for divorce. Well, she was intrigued by this. Got a very unusual approach, but she followed through. A few months later, she came, told the good doctor, everything is going well. He said, good. Now, now is the time to file for divorce. She said, divorce? <laughs> I love my husband. <laughs> Never. 
David chose to shower Saul with act of undeserved kindness. Undeserved. Meanwhile, Saul's repentance was cheaper than a cheap suit. It was the cheapest repentance you can see in the Scripture. In fact, all of his tears were crocodile tears because he would not change. But it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. David, the man whose heart after God's chose to trust in the timing of God, in the way of God. So let me ask you this. Do you have a smoldering anger? I'm talking about deep down that does sort of pops up occasionally, but it's so buried deep down, smoldering anger. Hand it to God now. Do you have a deep-seated resentment towards someone that is absolutely so deep down that every time you pray, you can't get rid of it? Well, you can hand it to God now. Do you have deep-seated anguish that somebody caused you? Any kind of anguish. I want to invite you to give it to God now, at this very moment. I know I'm speaking to someone here. I know I'm speaking to many people here. God will not only teach you to love. And beloved, I'm testifying to you. I am not giving you a theory. But just like a hand goes inside the glove, and the glove literally does what the hand does, God comes on the inside of you, and He will love that person through you. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I give God all the glory for it. Now, if you want to stand up and pray with me, and say, I want to hand it, whatever it is, hand it to the Lord. You can do that, and I'll pray with you right now in the next few moments. If every head is bowed and every eye is closed, and if you want to stand up and pray with me, stand up in your seat, and I'll pray with you. Many of you who have read my books know that in my younger years, I struggled with a short fuse and temper, and God in His mercy began to do His work in me. I could not stand here and preach had God not done and is doing His work in me. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, You, the one who know the secrets of all of our hearts, you the one who know what's going on that even the dearest and the nearest does not know. We come to you, the searcher of our hearts, and we ask you in the name and in the power of the blood of Jesus, remove, cleanse, and consecrate. And Father, we know that that is your longing for us, your children. And the Father, I pray this, believing. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus that you would encourage them on a daily basis to place these things on the altar for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen and amen. Would you stand and start, bless the Lord, in a song with us.